Yeah, well, nice to be with everyone again. Um, as far as any news or update, uh, I guess there's not a whole lot. Um, some of you are aware, but you know, all of you, we, we neighbor here, uh, just very, very short distance from us offered us this pasture for our cows. So we walked them down there, herded them down. That was very, very nice development. Give them a few acres of, of grass. Very nice. And um, I'm in the middle of writing a small book called Sakya Pranay. It's uh, just going through the Prakat Leela of the Bhagavatam and selecting verses and uh, comment, comment, commenting on them. Uh, the idea would be to create a book that you can have like maybe 25 or 50 verses that you can learn and cite and then remember the commentary in the context of doing that. Um, I come at the point now of the 15th chapter, started with chapter 11, the middle of chapter 11, and I did some later work, uh, chapter 18 already, but um, uh, <laughs> chapter 15 of the 10th canto is the, introduces the idea of gopastami, but the Bhagavatam itself doesn't say anything about it. Um, neither do any other texts really in any detail. They mention it and so forth, other than some of the, um, you know, Goswami's texts. I think Jiva Goswami writes about it. Um, in, um, Upal Champu, um, which could be expected from him, but nobody else. So it's kind of something where you have to kind of build it behind your eyes and, Carried in your heart, uh, if you will, and know that uh, it's enough to be on your way. Um, but I'm short of Bhagavatam verses for it, so maybe I'll make some up. That's what I'm involved in. Uh, anyway, at that, uh, I've also been uh, inspired by the Go Seva and so forth, and I promoted on on Facebook our um, Go Seva program in Madhavan asking for support. We have a link, patreon.com slash go service. And I would like, I want all of my disciples to participate in that. Cow it's service. very easy to do. Cow, cow service, service, yeah. Yeah, cow service, patreon.com slash cow service. Yeah, maybe you can put a link in the chat and on the YouTube. Um, it's very easy to participate and you can participate for as little as $1 a month. So. I'd like everyone to go there and participate. And friends and disciples, the likes of whom are here on the, uh, on the call. So that's uh, what I'm up to. And let's take the questions. Oh, what about your health? There's something I would tell out of this, right? Health is good. Gurnishta and Vrindaranya inspired me. Um, <clears throat> to take up the diet that they're also taking, which is uh, we eat twice a day, like eight in the morning, one in the afternoon, and then not again until eight in the morning. So there's like 18, 19, 20 hours of fasting a day. been doing it for about maybe, what, six weeks or so, a month or six weeks. It's been very powerful, very, very, uh, and we only eat whole foods, no processed foods. Um, I have to 
preach a little bit to Prabhupada about it when I make my offerings in the morning. <laughs> but, um, um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very, very good diet. It's been very, very good for my health. Uh, you know, there are all kinds of health solutions out there and whatnot. And, um, um, this is one that I've experienced, at least, a very powerful and very, um, immediate effects. So, um, hopefully I will, uh, extend my life through that. Uh, and be with you that much longer. That's my hope. So let's take the questions. Okay. Okay. First one to go is Gayatri. Hey, Hare Krishna. Hare Bon. Hare. So good to see you too, Kumarash. It's good to hear that you're doing better, that you feel well. Yeah. Uh, my question is in a spiritual sense, uh, what does it mean to ask the right questions? And what are those questions? And do they differ from person to person? And if so, how do I know what are the right questions for me to ask? Well, that's an interesting question. <laughs> but... uh couple things come to mind. Uh, first of all, Prabhupada used to say that he only asked his Guru Maharaj one question, and that was, how can I serve? Other than that, uh, our mind should naturally go in, with regard to this question of the Bhagavad Gita. In the fourth chapter, Krishna explains, Pariprasnena Sevayam, that uh, one should uh, ask questions, render service, or I, I, I suppose you could put the two together, party question in the same, ask questions, uh, with a view to serve, which would be, um, exactly what, uh, Prabhupada said, how could I serve? Um, so I think that, um, ideally, um, our inquiries, our curiosities, the curiosities of our, our head, uh, should be, uh, pursued with a view to, um, uh, acquire answers that we can then put into our heart. And as a result, they would turn into to action and change in our life. So we want to build a foundation in our in our heart to our heads I often say use your head to soften your heart so um, um, we refer to the knowledge within the school of bhakti which is Sambandagyan not just knowledge of the Atma and it's difference from matter, which is the basic idea of knowledge in Vedanta. Um, but um, the relationship between the self and matter, the self and Bhagavan, and so on and so forth. Um, so inquiries to further our standing in understanding you know, what it is that uh, 
that uh, we're involved in, uh, the Sambandha, uh, the, the Abhideya, the way itself, the path, uh, Prayojan, the goal, um, questions to further our understanding of, of such. Um, um, we um, often refer to uh, faith that is transcendental as opposed to mundane, lokic faith would be like mundane faith, alokic, transcendental faith, uh, uh, the latter referring to faith um, that has, that is uh, a result of hearing, imbibing the understanding of the scriptural uh, reasoning, logic, and evidence as to what, uh, um, uh, what bhakti is about, the nature of Krishna, and so on and so forth. Um, so sometimes we refer to the uh, Shastra, uh, excuse me, uh, Shraddha faith as Shastriya Shraddha, which means that our, we would inquire and ask for questions and, and expect that the answers would be supported by the scripture and um, and because we have faith in revelation or we have a lack of faith in our own ability unto ourselves with our mental, intellectual, physical capacity to know comprehensively and thus act perfectly and be as a result, completely happy, which is the goal of everyone. We have lack of faith in that. So if we, if we, if we emphasize that side, then we become more receptive to the idea that there may be another way of knowing because we don't have it unto ourselves. And that's what we call, uh, revelation. So the, the idea of revelation is, is, is well reasoned in that, as I say, the reason to our own limited capacity, and that that's just you know a testament to our own experience and to the history of, of human society, that uh, with all its um, intellectual meanderings and so forth, um, it's not as a whole, and there are very few, if any, individuals that are that are really examples of being perfectly happy. Um, but we have some um, in in the school of the transcendentalists and in Bodhiya, Vedanta Bodhi Vaishnavism. So uh good reason to accept, at least theoretically, the argument that there are real uh, texts and insights and that to know perfectly one needs a perfect method. I often fold my hands to illustrate what's the perfect uh, method. If he wants us to know about him, we can know, otherwise not. So you know, these are the general ideas around inquiring, uh, asking questions from um, uh, from our our teachers as to the texts, for example, what they mean, what the implications are, um, um, and so forth. This is probably the you know the best idea of what kind of questions to ask because of the sum and substance of it all is, um, is, is to, is an, is a submissive inquiry, which the Gita 
recommends, qualifies the nature of Pariprasana, questions, it should be submissive, um, um, mean, which means that I accept that there's, there's, um, there's someone who knows, right? Um, he knows. There's a very nice verse with regard to Abhideya Tattva. Abhideya means the, the way, the path. That means it was the very first verse that I ever learned. And I learned it in San Francisco at the Rathiatra one year, very early, maybe 1972 or something like that. And, um, and I chanted it all the way home on a, uh, on a ride from, I was living in, in, in the Prophet's temple in Los Angeles, New Dwarfa, he called it. Um, so we would go up, you know, to San Francisco for the Rathiatra annually, chanted all the way down. And once, uh, Prabhupada also cited this verse in my presence and pointed to me to other devotees who were present as an example. It's from the Gita. It's the second of, I believe, four, um, what are sometimes called the essential verses of the Gita. And in all my inquiries and all of the knowledge that I've gathered over so many years about the path and how to proceed, it all really comes down to this one verse. Tesham satata yuktanam bhajitam pritipurvakam. Gadami buddhiyogam tam yenamam upayantite. So I carry this verse in my heart, especially as I get older, more and more, it's become very simple. Um, this is all one has to know. <laughs> one knows this first and puts full faith in it. It says, Krishna says, those who worship me with love, tesham satata yuktanam, connected with me through love, bhajatam priti purvakam, I, from within, uh, uh, direct them how to come to me. What, I mean, it's very, it's very simple. It's extremely powerful, extremely uh, profound. If I didn't know any other verse, uh, this would be sufficient if I had a competence in it, which I do, which is my experience. Um, so, um, so I guess relative to that, the inquiry should be sincere with a with a with a view to how to love Krishna, hmm? how to how to how to love him, how to serve him, um, in a, in quality and in any particular instance and so forth. Obviously, devotees will have other questions that are in another kind of realm, so to speak, because we live in two realms as sadhakas. We live in the, the realm of sadhana, and we live in the material world, because the sadhaka deha, the body of a practitioner, it's sometimes described as a, as a work in progress, right? So naturally, uh, questions that pertain to our conditioning and the problems that arise in it, that arise in our minds, the difficulties, the obstacles, um, um, the ups and downs and so forth. It's, it's, it's pretty hard to get away from them. Um, it takes time and that's what we're practicing. So those, those just become music in the background. They're not really issues, um, anymore. We should try to understand this point that, that our well-being has nothing to do 
with the outside and has everything to do with the inside. We are so much taken up and down and concerned about our well, the well-being with regard to the outside, what the political situation, what the social situation, what the weather is, um, what and uh, what uh, what somebody else said to me, did to me, um, what my mind told me. All these things, uh, this, our well-being is, has, has, depends not at all on the on the outside, only on the inside. Go within, as we say, or go without. Um, but they are, we, 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 you know, we live, as I say, as a work in progress, as sadhaka, in, in in both worlds. So there will be questions that come up, and um, there may be place to pose them, individual questions. Um, and uh, to uh, our guru, to senior Vaishnavas, and so forth, who have experience along the way, and may have, you know, may have uh, entertained or run into the same type of questions and so forth. But I mean, there's a there. The further you go on that side, the more limited we are in terms of providing an answer. That our answer is a larger answer, a broader answer, as I've said before, written. That uh, it's it, 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 how to solve the you know is it is it that the world has problems or is it that the world is a problem? Well, it's really the latter, and the world is in it's it's in our mind. <laughs> That's where it is. The world's in our mind. We are um, um, what's the term? Idealists, right? It's ultimately God's mind, the whole world. It's not just in our mind, but our perception of it. Um, um, it's all in our mind. So, you know, we have to try to focus on the bigger question, the bigger picture. And the more we do, the more it solves the smaller questions. I've told the story before. It's kind of cute, I guess. When I was like, when I was in sixth grade, which is pretty young, I had a crush on a girl and, um, Whatever that meant, you know, we weren't as, uh, uh, well, we weren't socially, sexually active or anything like that. I don't think they are. I think they are in sixth grade now. Days, I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, um, um, when it didn't work out for whatever reason, I mean, why would have that meant work out? Anyway, uh, the, the course of events turned and, and, um, and so I was very disappointed and weeping. And my mother asked me, you know, what was the problem? And I, I tried to explain it. And then what she did was give me a bigger picture. Hmm? Right. And at that point, I realized these, getting the bigger picture is the solution to the smaller problems. So I have to step always into the bigger picture and then how small they are, because my problem is, is so big to me, but it's not somebody else's. That's why if you share your problem with somebody else, it can it can shrink mm-hmm. if they're empathetic and they listen to you, give you an ear and so forth. There's a scriptural verse in this regard. I can't remember it now that says the same thing. You share your problems with others, they'll, be, they'll become smaller um, or, or they won't become smaller, but they'll start to be perceived to be as small as they are. So I'm kind of meandering a little bit and rambling a bit about it. Um, and at this point, with regard to relative questions. Which is, I say, there's, uh, what, what can you say? If you ask me, Guru Maharaj, do you think I should, uh, you know, marry this person? You know, I, I hard, uh, how well do I know the person who asked the question? Hmm. 
how how well do I know the person who he or she wants wants to marry? Probably even less. What kind of answer? Let's be practical. Can I give? Unless you think I'm some type of magical person who knows everything about everybody at all times, which isn't the case. Um, um, with regard to knowing, you know, I mean, that's a good part of it. Someone asked me a question, uh, you know, how well I know them will be a, a factor in how well I can answer the question. How well do I know all my disciples? Well, uh, some more than others because I've known them longer. <laughs> I've been around them. I've, I've spoken with them. That's what it takes to to know somebody practically. Um, we can know their condition as a jiva, which is their real self and their prospect, and minister to that and assist them in bringing that out. But their other side, which we're talking about a little bit, the relative side and so forth. Well, that's a whole other um, reality, right? So questions may come from that side. But the answers, we try to give answers from scripture, but I mean, obviously, I, what kind of answer can I give from scripture if someone says, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of investing in, uh, you know, Bitcoin, you know, I mean, what, what am I going to say? You know, well, the scripture says, maybe I should say, it says you shouldn't gamble. Is this gambling or is it invest? I mean, you could, I guess you could get into something like that, you know, um, but it's hard. So to give an absolute kind of answer. So you, you you kind of limit the the um, the the, uh, the teacher or the one who you ask um, relative to how um, relative, if you will, your, your your question is on the absolute side. Then inquiring about the nature of the path, the nature of the goal, the uh, and so forth. We should expect better, more comprehensive answers. Even in that realm, of course, there are different answers and different ways to look at. With certain issues and so forth, but but again, to return to the beginning of the answer of my question, I refer to the Gita and to Prabhupada's kind of personification of it, Pariprasnaya, Sevaya, uh, submissive inquiry and render service. And let's put the two together. Submissive inquiry means how can I serve? Hmm? Uh, that should be the motive, the driving motive. How can I, you know, not just to contrast that with not just asking questions for intellectual, you know, curiosity, um, you know, um, uh, that that won't be won't be helpful to me. There's not a lot of time, so we should be wise with our time wisely and question. For the, for the sake of, of making make, making progress. I hope that helps. Yes, thank you, Gormash. I just have, uh, I'm sorry I'm taking up too much of everyone's time, but um, when you say we should uh, fold our hands and ask, how can I serve? Does that mean we should do that to everyone or you or senior devotees, or should we try to be submissive in everything in life? All the time. How how would that be sustainable? <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like it would be too sustainable from what you're saying. I, you're, you're <laughs> asking, I think it's true. I mean, we could try to serve everyone, but we can all should be intelligent. See, it's not possible. Uh, people don't want it. You might have something good to offer, even if they don't want it. What can what can you do, right? Um, so we should try to serve uh, 
uh, our guru, senior Vaishnavas, um, that would be wise. But we should try to serve those who, who, who are less informed, for example, about bhakti, by setting an example, um, answering, answering their questions, right? Um, so I think it's good to have a, a submissive, um, uh, serving attitude, but, um, you know, you should be intelligent also and understand there are situations where being submissive is not the solution. If a tiger attacks you, you don't become submissive. You try to at least try to get out of the way, you know. So, okay. Yes, thank you so much, Gorash. All right. The next question is from Prem Mantra from Brindabhumi. He says, how can we live and deal with the Uttam Adhikari's healthy lack of discrimination? They see that everything is Krishna's arrangement. All is good and fine. We do not see like that at all. So how to harmonize that without falling into intimidation or some kind of improper discrimination of the Uttam Adhikari? Well, I think that um, the Uttam Adhikari uh, perspective, as you're asking about it in the question, is largely a uh, departure from external consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, we find Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who could be a better example of an Uttamadikari. But uh, most of the time, in, a, in Adi Lila, Madhi Lila, he would uh, uh, depart, if you will, from external consciousness and go into a trance and so forth and conduct himself in a particular way. Uh, that was that was it was obvious that he was not living in the world of the senses and of the mind to those who who were uh in terms of being an external consciousness um, and it's fairly obvious that they that they can't just enter into that or imitate that themselves that that's a state of consciousness um when you get into the uh, into the muddy little, then he, he eventually he, he completely goes internal. So he can't, he could not function hmm, in relation to the external world. So, uh, therefore, for the most part, even an Uttamadakari will function as a, as an, as a muddy Madhikari in external consciousness, discriminating, hmm, um, uh, Appropriately, of course, his discrimination is coming. Well, he, not that he doesn't have more realization from the Madhimanikari, he does. But to, my point is to, to function in the world, you kind of have to function as a Madhimanikari and, and discriminate. So, um, if an Uttamadikari lacks discrimination and, and, and uh, it's it's not a way to run a 
you know, your life, so to speak, or your, or your, or, or your, or your, your mission, um, if you have one. Uh, there's all kind of practical concerns there where discrimination, uh, exercise of the intellect, making judgments and so forth is, uh, is essential. So I don't know if that answers your question, but, um, that, that said, okay, um, let's say you're living with an Uttamadikari in a mission and, and he or she has a certain perspective that's put out that is impractical for the reality of everybody there, then those that are close to such a devotee, him or her, they might have to give it some advice. Hmm? Um, um, and um, present the practical reality of everyone that uh, and, and the condition of the mission and the circumstances and and and, and how that might become um, impossible, if you will, that kind of vision to function. Um, I think that that seems to be what your, your question's about, because I, I know where you're from also. I know a little bit about the situation there. So I, um, I think that um, that's uh, how to look at it. We can't imitate the lack of discrimination on the part of the uh, Uttamadikari. Um, but if we try to enter into the um, uh, perspective of a Madhyamadikari, then and, and with regard to the Uttamadikari, we'll go there to some extent. We go there to some extent. That's that. That's a, a realization, a perspective that we want to want to gravitate towards. Um, but it's not something that we can imitate, or that you could live in, as I'm saying. In any practical way. I mean, if you take the stories of someone like Gorkachor Das Babaji, I mean, I mean, nobody can live like that unless they're just altered entirely. And, uh, and then you have to, you have to take that person with a grain of salt, practically speaking, right? Mm -hmm. Um, with all faith and all regard, you know, in, in, in in another sense. Hope that helps. Thank you. And then there's a long question from Abhay. I'm going to go slow for Shamsundar's sake. Abhay says, Haribol Guru Maharaj, I wonder if you could speak, I wonder if you could speak on a subject for us. In one biography of Bhakti Vinod, it describes a term he uses called Sahaja Samadhi. Normally, Sahaja is used with a negative connotation, but in this example, it was used to describe something very positive. It goes on to describe Sahaja Samadhi as a state of spiritual knowing coming completely from the heart of a surrendered devotee. Wherein a devotee is able to understand spiritual truths that are beyond the reach of logic alone. He mentions there are also two sages. At one point, the devotee Sahaja Samadhi will be mixed or filtered through his mental facility. 
And in the latter stage, it will be completely in the heart as unfiltered spiritual understanding and vision. I wonder if you can expand on this for us so that we can better understand and strive for this in our spiritual lives. Also, to help us further move into our into our hearts as the seat of our soul rather than our minds. And that was the question. Well, first of all, the term sahaja, sahaj means natural. I think it means easy. Um, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthiktaku took it in the context in which he often uses it as cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that with regard to the idea that um, that the high uh, goal of Radha Dasyam, of, of, of Krishna Prem, um, and so forth, uh, were uh, that the founding charges were absorbed in is something that we can sit down and enter into, you know, in, in in a, in a short period of time, once some, some of his disciples approached him and said they had a doubt, and the doubt was that they had been for ten years practicing, but the high things that he talked about were not coming within them. And he said, "Oh, I'm relieved to hear your question. If you had said for ten years all these high things were coming in you, I would have had doubts about you. But you were misunderstanding. That doesn't. It's not that easy. Um, and so." Um, Use the term in that way, cheap or imitating Haridas Thakur, for example. Um, and he advocated, uh, like the Bhagavad Gita, get up, do something. Um, kind of a Nishkam karma uh, within the context of bhakti, right? Um, stay active, do something, preach, uh, and, and, and so forth. And then that, as we see in the example of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, will draw one naturally to if your external uh, life is conducted properly, will naturally, as it was in his case, draw one naturally to an internal life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's how he used the term. So how do you talk to you? No talk. There's, you can give him another example in the uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita. Ramananda Roy has described it as a Sahaj Vaishnav. We take that to mean that he's a natural Vaishnav. The, the Vaishnavism was natural for him. Um, he wasn't particularly, um, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. He, he was an author. But anyway, a natural. Um, so that's another um, definition or interpretation of the word sahaja. So Bhakti or Sahaj Samadhi is using the term um, in more, you know, in, in, obviously in the latter sense. Um, and uh, what are you really speaking about there is is, is spiritual into, intuition, like I mentioned in the verse. Of the Gita that I learned first, the Dami Buddhi Yogam Tam, Krishna from within, give inspiration, guidance, light, and so forth. Um, and um, 
that will answer all questions. All questions will be answered by those types, uh, or, or all doubts will be erased more by internal experience than by argumentation, reasoning, scriptural reasoning, and so on. So it all has its its limitations. Hmm? He's saying there, you know, he's elaborating on the idea that the, that our goal, the ideal that we speak about, is beyond the capacity of words to describe it, uh, to capture it, or thoughts to capture it. Um, and so he's advocating an emphasis, you're emphasizing the transrational practices hmm? um, and how they can afford us a knowing that exceeds that we can gather even from our uh, scriptural study, which is Gyan Yogya, according to the Gita, 1870. Hmm? Um, and it's easy to be engaged in studying the scripture and um, be involved inadvertently in a, in a kind of an intellectual sleight of hand where you think because that your intellect has grown with information, you've actually become more spiritually advanced and you could speak about the tradition in such a way other people will become attracted and so forth, which serves to potentially to foster that uh, sleight of hand. And um, so, you know, it, that's why it's important to emphasize that we should study the scripture with the head to soften our heart. Um, 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 it's tricky. Um, uh, and, and so, uh, and I don't want to minimize the importance of, of studying the scripture and so forth. But um, but as far as knowing goes, or let's say retiring doubt, experience retires doubt more than any kind of intellectual knowing. You may know all the arguments of scripture upside down, inside out, and backward. There are, there are counter arguments to everything. Karko, Pratishtanat, Sutra say. There's always another, there's always another angle. Always another way of thinking about it. So we should, we should, you know, gather our spiritual Gaudiya logic and so forth that will help to support us, which is help to support us by way of inspiring us to practice and take up these simple practices of hearing and chanting, for example, that, um, that are transrational and can afford us the samadhi. Uh, um, and 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 intuition and the kind of knowing that you can't even put into words like Bhagavad is trying to put it into words Um, so those kind of uh, internal epiphanies and so forth uh, that's what we uh, are seeking through our 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 practice. That's what's most confirming. That's what, that's the ultimate pramana hmm? evidence. We say scripture is the pramana that succeeds in its capacity to afford us knowing the senses and, and mind and intellect because, because it speaks about things that are beyond mind and intellect, but still it speaks about them hmm? with, with intellectual 
arguments and so on and so forth. You know, it's 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 limited. That can be you can't entirely capture it. Therefore, we have to keep talking about it. Can't say enough about it. Um, but enough to inspire us to really embrace the simplicity and of the, of the practices wholeheartedly, whereby we can arrive at this, this kind of internal, natural um, epiphanies and that your natural self will come out, something like that. Um, that's basically what he's talking about. There. I hope that helps. Thank you. And the last question is from Madunam from Chile. He says, modern science discovered that when a spermatozoon unites with an ovum, the nuclei nuclei of both fuse, forming a new human being with its own DNA, different from that of its parents, thus beginning its natural development. My question is to understand at what... So Mahaprabhu is the, the new development, right? <laughs> yeah. The two become one. It's a new thing. Prema Vivarta Vilas. I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, so, yeah. um, so then he says, my question is to understand at what what point does its entrance, um, basically he's asking at what point does the jiva enter into a certain body? Because some organizations that approve abortion say that the fetus is only a combination of cells. Thank you very much for your clarification. Well, I think that there is a, a very kind of basic discussion of that in the Bhagavatam. Maybe it's the third canto or the fourth canto. Um, I don't recall that it gives a precise, you know, timeline uh, at, at this point rather than that point. Um, um, so I, 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 I don't think we can um, weigh in if you will, with such detail on the abortion argument from uh, scripture. We do so more in a broad way, um, which I believe is a perspective that everyone accepts, that it's an undesirable thing, that it's not a good thing. In, in, it, may be, it may have a relative goodness in certain circumstances uh, that are rare, but largely it's, it's, it's a very, uh, uh, unfortunate thing. I mean, I think that the demigods wanted to kill the, the, the child within the womb of her Anikasipu's wife. Hmm? So they, they were advocating abortion at the time because they thought, well, a big demon's going to come out of, as a result of being the son of, of her Anikasipu. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, there may be some place for that. Uh, but it's unfortunate and everybody seems to accept that. Now, but they, what they, what they gravitate to from there is this practical side, the practical side. So the lesser of two evils, when you got one evil, 
is there a circumstance where there is a lesser evil and um and then you know there's room to think about things um like that with regard to that that issue but uh you know our solution to it is would be thought of as this is very uh impractical um um in today's world um sexuality is is very much you know promoted <laughs> to say the least uh, and uh, and and it's a natural tendency very much uh, what people materially speaking are are about biologically speaking psychologically speaking so if you inflame it you know, and the scriptures don't inflame it. They go the opposite way. They go the opposite way. You know, opposite way. They try to put out the flame. They try to uh, harness it and so on. So, so if you take that off and you just let it go, despite the fact that everyone believes, as I've often said, it needs to be harnessed on some level, everybody agrees with that. Hmm? Um, you know, we, we have a certain worldview. And so where we... Uh, Make uh, uh, um, our, our restriction where where we advocate the, the the restriction or the harnessing of that urge, and so if it will be different than those who have a different worldview, if your worldview is not transcendent, if this life is not in pursuance of something else, if there's not something more, then yeah, uh, it's among all the sensual experiences, uh, it's pretty has a pretty high uh, pretty high on the on the charts, right? Um, and, and so when you have a society like that, then to, you know, offer as a solution to the problem, the kind of, uh, you know, celibacy, for example, or even, even within marriage only or, or, or a, a, a uh, sanctified uh, relationship and so forth. It, it just, it just, it's, it's, that's not going to work for people. It's it's you're really you're really going upstream. Um, so um, so uh, you know, given that people come up with you know their um, arguments as to you know when, if not when, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and, but anyway, aside from that. Uh, I don't think there's there's uh, an answer in the scripture as to the exact. You could say, well, actually, according to the scripture, it comes in the third trimester, and therefore, before that, it's just cells, and therefore, you can abort it. And you know, it, that, that kind of answer is not given. Now, you can look in the third candle, but I, um, I, I believe, I believe, if anything, the argument from scripture would be at the time of conception itself. Hmm? So someone may say that that only cell it's only cells there's no life there. Um, there I I would imagine that they're looking at it in terms of bio, biological life and how it expresses itself and makes itself known. Hmm? Um, and there may be an argument from that point of view that there's no life there. But but of course the atma is something that transcends biology and is life in a deeper uh, sense. Than biological life, and um, 
our perspective is, you know, the more I think about it as I talk, is really that that what makes the whole thing go round, what makes the cells move, what makes matter move is consciousness. Hmm. Uh, so consciousness is the life. And so if you have life forming, um, it makes sense that, that consciousness is, is forming it. We, we say that, we say that the body, actually we say, <laughs> the Bhagavad Gita says, the, the, the body that you will be born in, it's formed in the previous body. Hmm? In the consciousness, yum yum vyapi sparam bhavam Eighth chapter of the Gita. So that body, that collection of cells, is formed by the jiva himself in a previous life uh, 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 relative to his 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 preoccupation. Now the preoccupation is is the subtle body, the mind, and so forth. Matter comes out of mind, right? Matter, I mean, gross matter comes out of subtle matter. So the gross body in the next life is coming out of the subtle matter of the mind. But behind that, driving that mental conception uh, and the physical developments subsequent to it is consciousness. So consciousness driving the whole thing. So it's kind of an argument for, um, you know, at the point of conception, I would say. Okay, helps. Okay, there is actually one more question from Krishna Kanaya. She says, Hari okay. Bol, uh, Shrimad Bhagavatam, hey. uh, what was that? Kurma, did you say something? No, she said Hari Bol, I said Hari. Oh, I. She says, Srimad Bhagavatam contains <laughs> 10 subjects as described in the verse 2, 10, 11. But where does it say about the five topics of the Gita? Did Srila Prabhupada say it? Uh, five topics of the Gita. I think you're talking about Valde uh, Bidibushan's uh, edition of the Gita, uh, where he um, speaks about them. Prabhupada dedicated his translation and purport of the Gita to Valde Bidibushan also. Um, Baldi Bidibushan is the second, uh, amongst the early, earlier Gaudiya Acharyas who, uh, wrote a full commentary on the Bhagavad Gita. The first, uh, as far as I know, was, uh, Vishwana Thakur, although Advaita Charya was said to regularly recite the Gita and explain it. And, uh, it was also said Chaitanya Mahaprabhu wrote out the Bhagavad Gita in his own handwriting, all the verses. And uh, that's, uh, I think he gave it to Gorigas Pandit. Um, and that's still available. He didn't write a commentary on it. We don't have a commentary for the way to charge, so we're just going back. But Vishman Chakratakur wrote a famous commentary. And Balade Bidibhushan, who was a follower of Vishman Chakratakur, wrote a commentary subsequently. And Prabhupada says he dedicated his, his, uh, Gita to him. And those five topics, what are they? Karma. Again, you remember them all. Tell me, tell me them. So it's karma. Uh, Can't hear you. Oh, sorry. Hare Krishna. It's karma, uh, prakriti, 
Ähm, Ishwara, Kala Ishwara. und the Jiva. Ishwara. Ishwara and then Kala Time, Time and, and Jiva. And the Jiva. Yeah. Yeah, so that's his uh, perspective. That's it's very useful. He's drawn that out and uh, I don't think anyone else has uh, before him has said that, but afterwards following him we we, uh, we appreciate that. Okay. Thank Good. you. Short so question. Nice How to see you. See you in Poland. Yes, I'll be there in about a month. A little, a little, a little bit more than a month. Looking forward to it. So, uh, we have about four or five minutes. Any, any other comments? Um, Vamsidari wrote something in the comments about the, the abortion issue that kind of gives an interesting look on the kind of like the, you could say more secular way of looking at the matter. And I'd be interested to see how you answer this. He says, when he's talking about the fetus, he says, tumors are also alive. They have their own genetic makeup and blood supply and life in them that wants to live, but we don't consider them beings. Tumors. Well, um, you're, I guess, you know, relative to how I was speaking earlier, you're speaking about biological life. Um, um, biologically, biologically, a tumor's alive, but, um, but not, uh, but, but, but I guess what you're saying, but we don't consider that there's a jiva present there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I guess that's true. Um, and we, we we remove a tumor without uh, thinking of it in, in the same way as removing a, um, a a a fetus, because the tumor doesn't have the potential, given that arrangement of the cells and so forth, it doesn't have the potential to uh, become a human being, um, whereas the fetus does. So the fetus is a particular biological arrangement that um that the that the jiva um you know inhabits whereas the tumor is not um so uh what's the question how can if the if the tumor is 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 biologically alive but there's no jiva couldn't we say that the fetus i guess is the argument is biologically alive at a certain point, but there's no jiva present. And only when the jiva becomes present does it have the potential to become a human. Therefore, argument being, why couldn't we treat the fetus in an earlier stage just as a tumor, right? Would you say that's kind of the argument? Seems like, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, well... um, because i guess our perspective is that uh that the um the jiva enters at the conception mm-hmm. now you can argue that we're wrong I mean, uh and and again i'm not sure that there's a precise statement to that effect in the scripture but it seems to be the overriding perspective i have to look and see uh, in the Bhagavatam, what it, what it, what it says there. 
um, 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 and that biology generate, you know, can, uh, that a tumor can be biologically alive and not have consciousness in it. Um, you know, I don't know. It doesn't mean that the whole that, that there's something going on without consciousness behind it. Uh, I mean, I'd have to study tumors, <laughs> I guess, a little bit more. But uh, but that's how I would think about it. It's obviously a very complex uh, subject, and um, and you know, in, in in most countries, like in this country, there's a whole, whole political perspective, the autonomy of the body. Um, uh, for the individual over, over the state is basically the argument as I understand it. That the, should the state have autonomy or should, should the state have control of the body or should the individual owner of the body, inhabitor of the body, uh, be autonomous? And whereby then something could be morally wrong, but it's not a law. Um, uh, it seems to be the argument uh, some people will do and anyway it's complicated as I say uh, I don't have all the answers to to that I'd have to you know you have to look pragmatically I suppose at the issue and see well if there is abortion allowed then are there actually less abortions than if abortion is not allowed you might have more abortions if it's not allowed and other problems that result from that death of the mothers and other problems and so forth. I think that's what gave rise to abortion laws in the first place. Um, so I, you know, I have an open mind about it. It's, I have a world view about it that it's, that it's, that I think everyone agrees with. It's, 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 uh, not a good thing, but it may be relatively good in certain circumstances, maybe lesser of two evils in a world that is uh, full of uh, such um, evils and contradictions that are impossible to, re to resolve, you know, in the world itself. I mean, it just speaks about the nature of the complexity the, 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 uh, you know, that life does not conform to reason. It's bigger than reason. It's just bigger than reason. So you can reason about it one way. You can reason about it the other way. Ad infinitum. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I have to, you know, withdraw this my perspective, scientific perspective, people transcendental perspective. That, that's that, that's that's you know, it's not that the world has problems. It's that the world is a problem. Mm -hmm. That may sound uh, to those who are more uh, more um, identified with the world as a cop out, so to speak. Or, but you know, you have to back it up with with your example. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you can live on that um, in that perspective, but the world is problem itself, and you're doing something about it, and your own example illustrates that um, and how by that you can solve all the problems and solve your economic problem. You know, then it speaks somewhat, but it's, it's just, you know, who's going to do it? A few people. We're all doing it, all of us here. 
gradually, it takes time. But to become a sadhu and to become a mukta, manushanam sahasra shu kaschid yatati siddhaya yatatam api siddhanam kaschin maviti kapata. One in a million. You will be all of you, one in a, one in a, one in a million, an infinite jivas, but, but when, when is your time? And so forth. So selling a transcendental worldview as a solution to all the problems of the world is a hard sell. <laughs> I mean, we do it. We try to sell it, but it's a, it's a pretty hard, hard, hard sell. Uh, it's never going to get you know, all the traction that you would like. Therefore, Bhakti Vinod Sakwa said, in the end, what could I do? I tried to preach, but it didn't work. <laughs> you tried to change the whole world, right? Yeah. Bhakti Siddhanta also formed a big institution, 64 mosques, and in the end, he said, uh, anyway, these institutions got their problems. Hmm? What can you do? So, we're optimistic and so forth, but we see that... Uh, that a comprehensive solution to the problems is not one that those absorbed in the problems uh, and uh, and the and, and worldly perspective are going to be able to relate to mm, uh, entirely to some extent. Yes, and take it up gradually, and therefore you have this whole system in the, in it in the, in the, in the Hindus, which is really something that should be pointed to the whole system and that's really what Bhakti Mano tried to do with his advocacy of Varnashram so look at the whole thing here you know look at the whole organize our life in this way that we have that we move you know you want praying Bhakti but it's all it's over here move through it you know understand a Varnashram perspective to have balance psychologically in your in, in your life and so forth um, and uh, and 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 prescribed duties relative to your physiopsychological makeup, and um, and, and 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 pursue that as a matter of it should be done without attachment to the results, and the knowledge comes, and, you know, all these things. So, and, and within Bhakti, he wanted to have kind of promote the same. There's kind of so gradation but anyway it's it's uh it's um it's a hard sell we got a few customers here good a few of them i said what can i do people would say why don't you go feed the hungry he said there's there, there may be only a few people but they're hungry for this hmm? and i'm feeding them hmm? if i go to feed the people who are hungry in the stomach what, what, what about the people who have some Little hunger for this. Hmm? A little hunger for a comprehensive solution to the problem. Should that should that not be treated? Hmm? So he had a small circle, but he felt confident that his time was spent wisely. And uh, I have the same feeling with regard to our Sangha or Premanandi, Adibo. Okay, nice to start with you. Guru much. Thank you for the class. Don't forget the cow saver now. There's a link. Patreon.com slash cow service. How do you go?